Welcome to the fourth episode of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Myself, Alan Walker, and my co-host, Snip Brooks, joining for his debut podcast, and Toby Coulshaw, here as always, meet TI superstar Elite Dennis. Alison Etheridge, our usual co-host, was unable to join due to a biblical storm, the fact she lives in the sticks, and her broadband, basically two tin cans and a long piece of string, being knocked out by a said storm. Anyway, onwards and upwards, Alison will be back for the next episode and we'll finally have the full band together. In the meantime, have fun! Before we get on with the main event, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is proudly sponsored by our friends at Stratagens. And here's a very well-spoken chat to tell you a little bit more about them. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S.com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more. So, welcome to the fourth episode of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Yay! I'm Alan Walker semi-professional amateur podcast host and absolute know-nothing about the world of talent intelligence. So, Thankfully, I'm delighted to have with me today my co-host Toby Coulshaw Hello. from Philips, currently, and Nick Brooks from Microsoft. Yes, a new name for you there. And um, our usual co-host, Alison Etheridge, is unfortunately has been blown away by Storm Francis, like Mary Poppins off into the wind. <laughs> um, she will be back for the next episode, I'm sure. How are we all? Very good, thank you. Doing great. Glad to be here. Excellent. We do also have our special guest with us, Alith, and we'll come on to her in a moment. So as we're only at podcast number four, let's do another quick round of intros. Uh, Nick, you've joined from now on as a permanent co-host, so why don't you go first and perhaps kick us off by telling us about those newborn twins of yours are getting on. Yeah, thank you for for having me. So I've been absent the last couple of months with uh, probably the toughest job in the world, raising two humans. So uh, God help them being dependent on me as a father. Um, so that's been an experience. And uh, my my current role or my uh, my profession, I'm still trying to figure out what that is again. But uh, I'm <laughs> a talent intelligence program manager at Microsoft. Uh, been in uh, at Microsoft for around seven years. So fast becoming a piece of the furniture, but really dedicated my uh, experience to competitive talent and market intelligence over that period of time. Excellent. And Toby, remind everyone who you are and what do you do? Yeah, so I lead talent intelligence over at Philips. So I've got a team that we uh, look at essentially the risk and feasibility of what Philips is doing from a labor market perspective, uh, doing anything from M&A activity and strategy through to org design. So quite a, a broad range within there. And that's me. Excellent. Love your work, guys. And of course, we also have our guest with us, Elise Dennis. Is it Dennis, Elise, or Denis? Is it more exotic? How should I pronounce your surname? It is Portuguese, but you can absolutely use Dennis. Um, we've kind of made it simple for the world <laughs> by just going with Dennis. Okay, cool. Well, hello. You know, you're very much part of the show from this point forward. So why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Of course. My name is Elise, and I work in the market intelligence uh, department at Manpower Group in Talent Solutions, which is one of the Manpower Group family of brands. 
uh, we focus on workforce market intelligence and also help clients in a consulting capacity to um, do things like capacity planning, cost savings, um, market investments, restructuring, location strategy, things like that. Awesome. Thank you. We're going to hear a lot more about you and, and what you're <laughs> what you're into a little bit later on. And it's great to have you on the show. Feel free to jump in, speak up, kickstart a mutiny, take over the show, whatever you like. I'm easy as we <laughs> oh, go don't through. Don't me. <laughs> <laughs> but do get involved. Um, so for those that are listening, here's how the next 40 minutes or so are going to pan out. In a second, Toby is going to lead us through a, a discussion of some of the more interesting happenings in the world of talent intelligence, news views, industry insights, shameless self-promotion, that type of thing. And then Nick will take the lead on firing some some questions at Elise about her career and views on both talent and market intelligence. And then um, from episode five, I promise we'll have a, a new section that Nick will take ownership of. He's babysitting the area that normally Alison looks after. Or he can take over hosting from me, you know, whatever works best. But for now, he'll play the role of co-host without portfolio, and independent observer and chief general contributor and caretaker of question firing. Um, so we've got a whole heap to get through today. So let's crack on. Um, Toby, what's happening in the world of talent intelligence? Anything cool, anything insightful, anything interesting, anything I'll understand at all? Lots of stuff, but I'm going to start purely narcissistically and uh, talk about the article I wrote. So I did a, a little piece that I put out on ERE and also on LinkedIn. Um, quite a, a general uh, subject around talent intelligence and, and really using TI for business challenges rather than just purely talent acquisition analytics, talent acquisition intelligence. It seems to have landed pretty well. Um, not enough debate for my liking. I want people to challenge me and tell me I'm wrong all the time. Um, but uh, everyone seems to be pretty positive about it. But it's really just saying, look, in these times of change in this crazy world we're living in at the moment, the business are going to be asking for our data. They want our data. They want this insight and this intelligence. Um, so it's just got, works through some examples of working with real estate teams, working with the business or functional leaders, looking at how competitors are moving and how they're trying to pivot their business, et cetera. Um, and, and luckily, it touches on a couple of areas um, around things like OSINT and Human, which uh, I know we're going to have – one of the global experts on talking about it later. So I'm really excited about uh, today's session. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting little easy read to start with. Uh, within the group, we had Megan Batita hold a, a little survey, which was quite interesting around how people have seen their roles changing in the last six months. And the vast majority have seen the, the role of themselves and their uh, functions becoming more important to the wider organization and the, the wider organizational conversation which yeah, once again incredible bias from my side but i think it only goes to, to highlight how vital ti is at this moment with all this transformation and change going on so that's very interesting so those two things kind of go hand in hand the foot the piece you wrote and the and the poll that megan wrote and the and what came out of that and the change that people are seeing from their roles is it that the businesses that businesses are using the data, the insight that talent intelligence collect to make business decisions? Or are, you, are they using the skill set of the talent intelligence team to collect different data and insight? Great question. So I think from my perspective, I think it's using the resources there and the, the data and the, the intel 
as is. So I think it's mm. just the teams are, are, are spreading the intel. They're already using the work they're already doing to a broader broader network and a broader business. So I think it's just because of the change going on, suddenly the, the, the human capital in a, in a company and the change that's happening with human capital is that much more important. So a big magnifying glass has come over. Um, I'd love to hear others' views because it, it could be that uh, you know in other organizations, the actual individuals are, are having to change skills or stretch skills or use their skills in other ways that uh, I just haven't seen. So it, it, yeah, it could be either or, but for myself, it's been the former. Okay. What about you, Nick? Are you seeing a change? Yeah, I would say, I mean, we've been pretty heavily invested in applying talent intelligence for, for business related uh, or business intelligence scenarios a number of years. So it's kind of a, it's a combination of both. It's that there's a, a hunger and a need for talent data and signals um, in the business. And the way that we kind of describe it is uh, talent movement precedes market movement. So it can be really early indicators of uh, future shifts in a competitor. Mm. Um, but the, the, the point around, um, is it just the data or is it kind of the knowledge and the skills of the, the researchers and the analysts? And it is both, because I think one thing not to be underestimated is in this field, we understand occupations and title hierarchies and how skills show up on profiles. Um, so there's, there's a lot of um, areas of the data that are open to interpretation. So it's a combination of making it available to obviously our, our business partners and peers for alternative applications, but helping them understand where the risks are, where the caveats are and how to really interpret it in the right way. Um, so huge driving force. And it was great to see that article out there, Toby. So hopefully you're getting some good comments and momentum yeah. and uh, yeah. I might have to challenge you on a few concepts. It sounds if it's gone quiet so far. Challenge away, challenge away. <laughs> and what about you, Alif? Are you having different questions asked of you by the organizations that you work with? Absolutely. Uh, we we consult for a wide variety of clients um, through Manpower Group Talent Solutions. And uh, in March, I saw a very dramatic shift in the types of requests that we were receiving from clients. And the the overall consensus was just you know, what do we do now? <laughs> and how do we cope with this changing um, uh, workforce landscape and um, shift skills within our organizations, um, you know, minimize uh, the number of people that we have to furlough or let go and maximize our potential to gain the skills that we need. And it was, it was just a uh, avalanche of questions that came from our clients and immediately our team jumped to action to try to um, address all of these concerns and each project has been so unique but the general theme has just been um, making sure that we can satisfy the need for skills while really streamlining the cost efficiency and um, maximizing the workforce mix, but job taxonomy alignment and location strategy, those themes are recurring throughout the requests that we're seeing um, over the last five months. It's really interesting. And I'm sure we'll explore some of that stuff a little bit later on. So what else are you hearing, Toby? Well, one of the articles that's been, that I saw is really interesting, actually totally ties into what Malith was just saying there around location strategy and cost reduction. Um, and it's something I've seen a lot of companies doing is, uh, looking at their their cost base and seeing how they can move work uh, and move workers to lower cost areas, and it doesn't need to be low cost country. 
even lower cost areas within their own country, um, particularly with some of the, the lar- larger countries where you have huge, huge disparity between different regions. Um, and Fast Company put out a, an article, and it was all around how location-based salaries will kill startups culture. And it's around mm-hmm. making that quick win. They're saving those few bucks. It's just not worth it for the overall damage you're going to do to the, the culture and the team and the morale. Um, and I think that's a really interesting, really interesting topic. And I know it's something we've touched upon in the last few episodes here mm. um, around how this is going to all play out and whether de-urbanization is going to occur, whether we're going to see uh, changes of salaries in, in um, lower cost areas and whether we're going to see salaries pushed up and, and the knock-on effects. I think it's a, it's a really fascinating topic for me. Yeah, I would yeah, agree with think- that. One at a time. <laughs> <Up> early, please. <laughs> I would absolutely agree with that. I, I'm about two to three hours away from San Francisco and the Northern California Bay Area. And there are many, many individuals within the Central Valley in this area who work for companies that are located in the Bay Area and in San Francisco in order to receive those higher salaries and um, accommodate a lower cost of living while having the ability to drive in, but not necessarily having to drive into the office every day. Um, So I think that that will have a dramatic impact on those families and individuals who are reliant on the telecommuting and the ability to have those big city salaries in a more affordable uh, rural area. Um, So I'm interested to see how that pans out as well. Absolutely. And I think the the other thing I'm fascinated to see is how much of this is permanent and how much is uh, organizations mobilizing in a more temporary fashion. So enabling Mm -hmm. flexible work and because there's a lot of complexity involved uh, enabling employees to, to work from anywhere or maybe have no fixed abode, which relates to compensation and benefits, things like medical care in the United States, for example. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see out, to your point, Toby, this de-urbanization effect, which is definitely happening, um, but how much of it may reverse in a, a future kind of post-COVID world or otherwise. So lots to keep our eye on. Absolutely. So um, I think we've got time for one more piece of news or yeah. activity, Toby? Last, last one for the day. Um, I, there was a really good article um, that was uh, by the next web. And it was all around Facebook and their AI research center. Um, and it was a much broader topic and a broad, broader uh, subject, uh, everything around AI and that whole center um, that w- was um, launched. But the one bit that really stood out for me was when this, was, this decision was done back in 2013, uh, talent intelligence was absolutely key to that, that decision-making process. And they were looking at different locations. They were looking at, at London as a, a hotbed of AI talent, but they, they made this choice to, to actively push out to, to Paris um, and, and to, to have kind of the first European hub on, on mainland Europe for, from there. So I, I found that really fascinating that even though it wasn't, it didn't make reference to talent intelligence as such within the article. Sadly, wasn't referencing Facebook's amazing talent intelligence team. But um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic for me to see to read that and seeing that talent and talent intel and labor market intelligence was absolutely core to the decision making process. Really interesting. Absolutely. Anything you've got to add to that, Nick or Elise? Elise, after you. 
wouldn't want to jump in again. <laughs> I was going to defer. I was going to defer to you to comment first. Right. Um, you know what? I think that the talent intelligence teams within organizations organizations today are really the unsung heroes in a lot of cases uh, because people don't understand what talent intelligence is yet, and they're not capable of describing or speaking about it in a way that will make sense to most of the general public as readers or even, um, you know, higher level executives within companies that aren't, aren't really aware of how to utilize talent intelligence. So I think that um, making information about how this location strategy, for example, was um, how it came about accessible to the general public is something that this podcast can do as well as uh, companies that utilize these talents. It's a really, really great point. And I think on the Facebook example, um, the investments they've made there are very um, academically driven. It's a lot of their future thinking research, which is tied to academia. And that's an example of where talent intelligence can uncover where is the future of that research coming from, which labs, which particular universities. And I, I would imagine Facebook, they've probably got very deep ties to a lot of the um, universities in France and Paris in particular. Mm -hmm. But uh, but they will know kind of what are the themes around reinforcement learning, for example, and the future of uh, artificial general intelligence, um, which is a really grow fast growing area in France in general across the, the academic system. So there, there are ways that TI can really uncover that through white papers, through research uh, publications, and just understanding individuals and professors across the, the top institutions. So hugely valuable. And again, that it can play into a pretty key location strategy. Excellent. So listen, guys, um, we could chat about what's happening in the world all, all day long. And as informative as it is, we've got a really good guest with us today, Elise, that's you, um, who we want to know <laughs> much, much more about. So I think it's time for our, our resident hard-hitting interviewer extraordinaire, Nick, that's oh you, <laughs> to step up. Nick, this is your time to shine, my friend. Put oh. on your interviewer pants and me and Toby will just sit back while you... Why you grill a leaf? No pressure whatsoever, <laughs> hey? Big shoes to fill. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we need some sort of countdown music in the background to supply a bit more pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll um, add to the podcast of the future. We'll add that to our sound effect bank. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. So, Elith, uh, really excited to have you on today. I guess there's endless topics and avenues we could go down. I think Toby and I are definitely geeking out over some of your DEF CON background, but I think um, <laughs> let's start from the top. So um, you'd mentioned that you're you're currently working with Manpower Group, and, and one of your large bodies of work, of course, is the Total Workforce Index that you produce yes. um, or annualized reports. So um, love to hear a bit more about that for our listeners, what it uh, actually entails, and then just the process of, of research, how you conduct it, and what the kind of challenges are along the way. Just love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So the Total Workforce Index began um, in the form of the Contingent Workforce Index back in 2013 from Manpower Group um, Talent Solutions. And we've, over the course of the last three years, we've been issuing what we've called the Total Workforce Index. And that evolved out of the Contingent Workforce Index. And it encompasses uh, both uh, workforce types, both the contingent and the permanent together in one, but taking into consideration um, different aspects and priorities 
for businesses through the statistics that we analyze for the 76 markets that we collect data um, on. So we collect over, I think, 110 different uh, and unique data points based on our clients' business priorities. And we categorize each of those metrics within four categories, which are namely availability, cost efficiency, regulation, and productivity. And then we rank each of the 76 markets, not only as a whole, but within each of those categories and within three regional um, global areas, namely APAC, EMEA, and the Americas. And then we break those uh, rankings down to analyze the workforce markets that would be our recommendations for our clients to invest in. And we can create custom indices that adjust the weightings of the factors or the weightings of the categories and then determine uh, very specific rankings to an organization as well. So that's really something that has been informing a lot of our client consulting work over the last three years is utilizing this tool to identify the markets where businesses should be investing or um, you know, creating new location strategies. And recently, we've incorporated a lot of remote ready type uh, technical capabilities into those metrics to determine the best markets to invest in within our new um, COVID-19 landscape in the workforce markets around the globe. So that sounds like a hugely comprehensive body of work. You mentioned 70 plus markets. Um, so yeah. where, when you're <laughs> taking on a piece of work like that, what are the main challenges? And I would imagine if you're thinking about weighting matrices, for example, how do you think mm -hmm. about which are more prioritized than others, especially in light of what your client needs are, that they could be different motivators when they're investing in different regions? Right. We have an incredible team of analysts. And I would say one of our primary challenges was a finding the information for each of the 76 markets and a reliable source for that information. B, collecting that information in a way that makes it uh, comparable and um, to place each market on an even footing when we're ranking them, there has to be a way to standardize that data, which was also a challenge early on. Um, and whenever we add markets, of course, we have to identify the sources for each of these 110 plus metrics. Um, so my team does an incredible job at sourcing that data and then collecting it into one resource. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, my direct manager, who's the uh, vice president of global market intelligence at Manpower Group, she does a tremendous job at staying uh, current with uh, market changes and trends around the world. And she's the one um, in conjunction with another one of our directors, Mikey McPhail, who is our data guy, um, who decides how to weight these factors and which factors should have more influence over the rankings and how to adjust um, the data to give a very informative look that is relevant and um, accurately weighted for today's market and for our clients. That's a pretty comprehensive process in terms of yeah how you yes. think about <laughs> leaders obviously verifying the, the the different weighting factors. So um, it sounds like you're you're pretty pivotal to your company. So we're not expecting you to expose any sensitivities at all. But, <laughs> of course um, not. 
love to hear a bit more about the types of customers you engage, be it by industry or, or sort of functional um, areas. And and aside from location strategy, are there any other kind of unique use cases that you see in how they apply uh, this workforce index? Oh, absolutely. Um, we have a variety of different industries and um, you know roles and and problems really represented within our client consulting work. Most recently, we had a major manufacturer that had to fill a very large volume of roles very quickly um, to satisfy a new demand. And uh, our team was tasked with finding these individuals at a very um, you know base level. Like, where do we find the talent? Where do we find these skills? How do we put people to work? And that is really the primary objective and mission of Manpower Group is putting people to work and giving people meaningful work. Um, so one, one piece of intelligence that I found through open source intelligence gathering techniques and research um, on our great wide worldwide web um, actually led to 57 people receiving a job that within that 24-hour period. And what it was was a drive-through job fair within the town where these roles were hiring. And it enabled our client to have representation at that drive-through job fair and uh, find the talent that they needed and put those people to work on the spot. So that was something that really gave me, uh, you know, those feel-good feelings and um, just the, the sensation that we were doing something that mattered and that was helping in this new uh, workforce climate that we're in. Um, so yeah, that there's all kinds of different projects that we do. And, um, when we can really show results in something as simple as finding one piece of information on the internet on a normal afternoon, then that's something that I feel, uh, is really beneficial for our team as far as, um, feeling like what we do matters. Cause I think that a lot of us within the t intelligence community as a whole, kind of feel like we just shuffle numbers around and it doesn't really matter much. And I can imagine even pre-pandemic, you were pretty busy anyway. So it must be demand through the roof right now from your customers. Yes. But thanks again for catching a breath and, and speaking with us today. Um, so you touched on it there, Alith, a little about um, those kind of uh, stories or statements of impact where customers are actually seeing jobs filled or individuals are getting hired. Do you, mm -hmm. for a report of this nature or the work that you do, do you have uh, standardized metrics at all or ways that you think about the return on investment? Like what is driving the most value for your customers? Um, I would say what's driving the most value through the total workforce index right now is specifically identifying workforce markets where they strike the right balance for their business priorities in those four categories. Um, you know, there's a tendency to believe that some markets are just the markets to go to because they're the most cost efficient. But when you weigh the other factors that are uh, regulatory in nature or, or productivity related, you find that those markets actually fall lower in the rankings and others rise to the top. Um, you know, for example, I know that. Uh, Toby and I briefly discussed that the Ukraine is rising in the IT sector as an untapped opportunity for sourcing new talent. Um, and, you know, the, the Ukraine doesn't rank particularly highly on a global view of the total workforce index, 
But if you were to analyze those specific factors and try to um, look for those types of talents, that's an area where smaller markets can actually rise to the top in a custom weighted index for a specific, uh, to resolve a specific request. And so that's something that we've tried to do with the total workforce index is really customize it heavily for each case um, and, and give our clients the most relevant, accurate snapshot of our global workforces as they stand, updating all of these metrics on a regular basis throughout the year. So that, that's a really great call out, Leith. And I think important for our, our listeners to think about is uh, when you're conducting research of this nature, really thinking about the, the problem or the challenge at hand. Because if you take macro level analysis, so if, like you were say, saying, looking at the Ukraine on the global scale, the real value or the, the potential in that talent ecosystem can get lost very quickly against some of the top um, talent markets like obviously West Coast USA or Bangalore, for example. So it's important, again, to, to take it in the context of your client or your company, whomever you're operating, and, and what are the, the constraints that you're operating within to make it really mm-hmm. realistic? So, um, yeah, I think that's a fantastic call out. Um, before we, we switch gears into another topic, I just wanted to see uh, Toby, Alan, any, any other any questions? questions? Toby, I know this is a topic close to your heart, so uh, far away. Yeah, it was just a, a less of a question, just a point though. I completely agree around that contextual piece. Um, and I think it's something that we we often see within talent intelligence when we're working with, with, with partners is um, they'll just drive straight away to either talent availability or cost savings. And that's the two drivers they really kick towards as a natural because that's that's what they understand. That's what they they immediately grasp. Um, so I, I think there's that, that contextual view that you're, you're saying, Alith, is really, really important. And I think it's where talent intelligence professionals can really um, challenge the business and challenge ways of working and really see the value out of what they do is by challenging and bringing these other markets to, to the table and, and looking at different ways of looking at the problem. And I think that's really, really important. And I think it's something that often goes under the radar and, and it's, it's hard to do. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a great piece of work, really, really good bit of work. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah, it sounds fantastic. I'll definitely be paying more attention to, to your work in future. <laughs> so uh, thank you for taking the time to share. So um, let's switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk a bit more about the world of open source intelligent, or uh, also known as OSINT for short. So um, I think there's probably many listeners on this call not familiar with the term. It's something that we leverage pretty extensively at Microsoft. But uh, Alif, would you be willing to share a bit more about what OSINT means to you, your organization, and really how you apply those concepts on a day-to-day? Before Absolutely. you do that, Alith, can mm-hmm. I just say sure. there's also a there's also a host here who has no clue really what OSINT <laughs> is either. So I'm desperate to know. And some other stuff I saw on your LinkedIn profile when I was doing the usual stalker thing, Alith. So you talk about <laughs> Trace Trace Labs competition and DEF CON as well. So if you could yeah. cover all of those things sure. in one foul swoop, that'd be awesome. <laughs> right. Okay. So this is the definition sheet for your terminology right here. Okay. So OSINT is open source intelligence and research and gathering information through open and public sources. Uh, There are various types of intelligence. Most specifically, my specialty is in what is um, referred to now as SOCMINT, which sounds hilarious, but it's social media (laughs) intelligence. Um, That is where my, my primary skill, my skills really shine. 
Um, there's also things like human, which is human intelligence. So that's intelligence that you gather from a human. So if you're talking with a coworker or perhaps somebody who works for a competitor and you gain intelligence from them, that's human. Um, but OSINT is kind of the broad umbrella over all of these different types of public open source uh, intelligence resources. And that can be everything from, you know, LinkedIn, Insights, um, and other platforms that can be paid or unpaid. Um, and for me specifically, I feel like anything that you have access to is within the realm of OSINT. So whether you're paying for a software license that analyzes specific types of data and then feeds it to you in a simple form, that's still OSINT. Um, within the context of things like competitions, um, which I'll get into in a minute, those things may be ruled out as admissible, <laughs> but mm. um, uh, and strictly limited to stuff that is available on the web at no cost. But um, talking about DEF CON, DEF CON is um, a hacking conference. It is the largest hacking conference, longest running as well, on the globe. It is held in Las Vegas, Nevada each year. Um, this most recent iteration went virtual, but in years past, it's been located at one of the amazing hotels and casinos on the Strip there in Las Vegas, and it attracts upwards of 30,000 hackers. And I know that the term hacker has kind of a negative connotation. So this is really centered around ethical and um, you know hacking for good. And not so much information security, but there are a lot of information security professionals that attend the conference. And it, it's just a really great community that I've been involved with for the last few years. And I fell in love with the community and specifically the social engineering village, which is a uh, kind of like a department, but they call them villages within DEF CON's conference. And it's run by a gentleman by the name of Christopher Hadnagy, who is also the founder and CEO of a company called Social Engineer. Um, and I learned a great deal from him with regards to using social engineering, not for malicious or, um, you know, negative impacting manipulation of people, but really towards leadership and improving my own communication skills throughout my life and some other things. But he hosts this competition every year called the Social Engineering Capture the Flag Contest. And a couple years back, I decided I would throw my hat in the ring. Um, because I've always been great at the OSINT part, which is the first phase, but I wasn't so great at talking with people on the phone and um, overcoming those types of anxieties was something that I wanted to do. So I put my hat in the ring. I got picked much to my surprise and I spent the six weeks on my target to compile a report and did the OSINT, which I did really well in and was like, holy cow, I have a chance. <laughs> And then I went to do the live part of the competition, which is where they actually throw you into a booth that is soundproof on a stage in front of an audience. And you have to call the numbers that you found within your target organization and essentially elicit information from the target. So that's, again, going back to that human, that's information from humans. You had to elicit specific flags of information for points from the people that you could get on the phone. And the first year I competed, it I got, I think, something like 11 or 12 voicemails <laughs> before I finally got a person. <laughs> and it was just soul destroying. Um, but I finally got a few people on the phone and I got some flags. And at that point, I was just hooked. And so I spent the next year really um, working on improving those skills 
for voice solicitation and learning everything I could about applied psychology and um, more OSINT gathering um, tools, skills, resources. And I went back the second time and I actually won the contest. Um, and my closest competitor on the phone call uh, section was 100 points behind me. Um, wow. So it was amazing. It was the most incredible experience. And the people that I've met through the competition and uh, within this community have been absolutely off the charts incredible. And I'm forever grateful to DEF CON and the community and social engineering um, slash SE Village for making all of that that experience possible. But DEF CON actually bestowed on me the honor of a black badge, which means that for the rest of my natural life, um, I get free admission into the DEF CON conference. And uh, it's just, it's my, I still don't feel like it's real. I still feel like somebody has to pinch me because I must be dreaming because it's just been tremendous. Um, so from this experience at DEF CON, I was able to connect with a couple of organizations that really lean heavily on OSINT and OSINT for good. Um, first of all, Trace Labs, which is an organization based in Canada that has partnerships with law enforcement globally to help crowdsource information to give to law enforcement to follow leads on missing persons cold cases. And then secondly, an organization called the Innocent Lives Foundation, which um, uses volunteers to OSINT and find information to unmask predators, online predators, and then give those, uh, you know, dossiers to law enforcement so that they can um, locate these people and bring them to justice. Um, so those are the two organizations that I'm very passionate about sharing about and supporting. Um, Trace Labs does a monthly um, OSINT CTF where they crowdsource the information and they gamify the missing persons cases to uh, really drive awareness, but also get engagement from the community. And they have, um, you know, 20 or I'm sorry, over 200 teams most months that compete against each other to find as much open source intelligence about these missing persons as possible to help law enforcement potentially locate them. Um, so that's a way that people can test their skills, learn new skills, and volunteer in a community for the purposes of good, um, rather than you know trying to push the envelope on what information they can find online and potentially cross into an unethical area. So not only are we in the hands of a celebrity right now, but you're conducting <laughs> online law enforcement. That's uh, that's inspirational. Uh, no, not actually conducting the law enforcement, <laughs> just gathering the information. So to be totally clear, law enforcement does all the work after the information is found for both organizations. Right. Um, but having the ability to crowdsource, you know, that many people, if if the hackers can't find any more information than law enforcement found in their original, you know, case related research, that's actually a good thing too, because it shows that law enforcement did everything that they could um, to recover that person or potentially locate them. Um, so it's all for good. And even though they have gamified a very serious problem, I think that it's very much helping um, to raise awareness and find new information and discover new leads and, um, you know, law enforcement doesn't really have the time to dedicate resources to do this deep of a dive. And when you have over, you know, 2000 participants doing this, 
over the course of six hours on a Saturday afternoon. It's something that that I think is very beneficial for our community, but it also helps every one of us, uh, you know, flex our skills, use them um, so that we retain them, but also improve each each time that we um, have one of these competitions. Absolutely. Um, listen, guys, I think we could clearly chat to Elise <laughs> probably forever. Um, I can't believe you said you had anxiety about talking to people and calling people <laughs> at one point. That is definitely gone. You are a very oh, confident this, speaker. This all is shell. <laughs> Everything <laughs> outside's a shell. On the inside, I'm freaking out. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's, it's been absolutely fascinating. Um, most of it went way over my head. I'll happily admit that, but it was interesting all the same. And I think once we get to about episode 10, I'm going to stop <laughs> saying that. I've, yeah, I'll have learned stuff, I think, and I can actually – I won't hold my own at all, but I can at least pretend. Um, <laughs> but we do need to stop at some point, and uh, that point is now. Uh, I want to thank <laughs> each of you, Nick. Toby for co-hosting this our fourth talent intelligence collective podcast we've managed four wow I'm really proud actually I think we should be really pleased with that and uh, Nick special thanks to you for jumping on joining in as if you've been here from day one <laughs> uh, you've been an absolute natural and it bodes well for the future episodes that you'll be part of and Elise, massive thanks to you you've been incredible I hope the experience was a relatively fun one for you. Absolutely. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for the invitation and for including me. This was a lot of fun and a great way to spend my birthday. <laughs> oh, oh happy birthday. Just before the timer. Look at that. We have time sitting? <laughs> no. Um, and to our listeners, a huge thanks for listening uh, and a huge ask as well. And please do leave a review and a rating for the podcast. Um, your support is all we need, really, to make this young, fledgling podcast fly. <laughs> uh, anything you can do to support us will be greatly received. So, cheers. And, Toby, do you think I should try that cheesy sign-off again? Yeah, I think it really worked, honest. No I do as well. Okay, so I'm going to do it. Stay intelligent, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Before you go, I wanted for the last time to remind you about our generous sponsor, Stratagens. It's that posh chap again, telling you about their fabulous product. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. They've done the hard work of analysing thousands of external data sources so you can answer questions on skills, diversity and real estate. Stratagens enables quicker business decisions about workforce and workplace in a way that is refreshingly simple and revolutionary in its logic. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more.